0: You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. I just think that when you compare him to the guys in the first 25 years of NFL history, which is all you can do, he's head and shoulders above in speed, in production, in toughness, in versatility. I think Don Hudson is the most dominant single player at his position of any in NFL history. When he retired, he had three times as many touchdown receptions as any receiver in the first 25 years of pro football. I truly believe that Don Hudson would have been a prolific receiver in 1997 as well as 1937. Don Hudson is the best receiver of all time, and I'd call him the best player of all
1: live from the Packernet podcast studios this is packers total access i am your host clayton bailey you can check us out on packernet.com you can find me on twitter at packers underscore access and on today's show we have lined up what we're going to call the wide receiver show today the wide receiver episode and uh, we're going to kick it off with arguably the greatest football player to ever suit up for the Green Bay Packers. You heard it there in the intro. That's Mr. Don Hudson. Uh, You guys know his number 14 is retired. It hangs on the facade there uh, in Lambeau Field. One of the first numbers to be retired and uh, just an absolute legend when it comes to the National Football League. Someone who at a very, very uh, infant stage of the NFL really sprung the forward pass uh, into a whole different stratosphere. Um, he was a guy that Curly Lambeau used to uh, to really take advantage of the entire league in a time when there was a lot of running, you know, the ball, a lot of T formation and box and all that. And you could only imagine playing defense in this time. You could only imagine coaching the opposing team and seeing this guy sprint like a gazelle down the field and seeing a coach that was cocky enough, that was arrogant enough, that was confident enough to just throw this huge rugby-sized football all over the yard, right, and in Curly Lambeau. And it's just an amazing story. So we're going to dive into Don Hudson. Most of you, I'm sure, know uh, just about everything about Don Hudson, but I guarantee you there are a few Packer fans listening to my voice who have heard the name Don Hudson have no idea exactly the impact he's had on the Green Bay Packers and the entire NFL as a whole. So we're going to cover him. We're also going to put our GM cap on and we're going to dig into the contracts of our wide receiver room and kind of look at, okay, what's it look like in the next two to three years? What are the contracts structured as? How does it compare across the league? Um, What will be the next big move? That type of thing. Also, as we wrap up the show. Wide receiver Alan Lazard, as we all know, has not signed his tender yet, right? And there's a lot of people that were kind of, uh, I don't want to say a lot, there were several people that were getting uncomfortable, like why hasn't he signed the tender? Uh, is he not planning on playing for the Packers? We're going to dive into his most recent comments where he was actually interviewed and uh, and spoke about um, joining the Green Bay Packers and, and, and kind of give you... An idea of what his mind frame is at the moment. And I think it's going to put a lot of people uh, at ease when it comes to um, what most people I think would agree is the number one receiver in the Packers offense coming into this post-Devante Adams era. And then we're also going to get uh, a few comments uh, from a, an interview that happened with Noah Pawley, which uh, if you guys don't know who Noah Pawley is, he was the wide receivers coach in college for our very own brand new rookie phenom uh, christian watson so that's what we're going to cover today guys uh you know settle in grab you a cold drink if you're listening to this at work then go hide from the boss hide in the cubicle whatever you got to do maybe you have a bathroom break put the earbuds in and uh and check it out because it's going to be a good one all right so to kick off the show let's cover the great don hudson all right don hudson was born on January 31st, 1913 in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, one of three sons of Roy B. Hudson and Mabel Clark Hudson. While a Boy Scout, he played with snakes. He said this is where he got his quickness and agility. As a teenager, Hudson played baseball for Pine Bluff's town team. As a senior at Pine Bluff High School, he was an all-state basketball player, which he said was his favorite sport. Quote, I'm like most athletes, he said, I'd rather see football, but I'd rather play basketball. Hudson played one year of football at Pine Bluff. So again, the, you see so many, uh, you know, numerous stories of former Packer players and, and NFL players in general, who, you know, it seems as if football wasn't their first sport. I mean Hudson literally played one year of football at Pine Bluff and he would go on to be one of the greatest wide receivers in history. It says Hudson played at end for for coach Frank Thomas's Alabama Crimson Tide football team from nineteen thirty two to nineteen thirty four. Bear Bryant, future longtime coach of the Tide, was the self-described, quote, other end on the Tide in 1933 and 1934. Bear Bryant once remarked, quote, he was something something to see even then. We'd hitchhiked to Pine Bluff just to watch him play. I saw him catch five touchdown passes in one game in high school. Think about it. the one year that he decided to play high school football, he caught five passes, five touchdown passes in one game. Says Sports writer Morgan Blake ranked the undefeated 1934 Tide as the best team he ever saw. Hudson's College Football Hall of Fame profile reads, quote, Fluid in motion, wondrously elusive with the fake, inventive in his patterns, and magnificently at ease when catching the ball. Uh, Hudson and fellow Hall of Famer Millard Dixie Howe became football's most celebrated passing combination. Hudson had six catches for 165 yards, including two touchdowns of 54 and 59 yards in the 1935 Rose Bowl against Stanford. He also scored the winning touchdown over Robert Nealon's Tennessee Volunteers on an end-around. Hudson was recognized as a first-team All-American for six different organizations and received a second-team selection by one another. In an attempt to name retroactive Heisman Trophy winners before its first year of 1936, Hudson was awarded it in 1934 by the National Football Foundation. Georgia Tech coach Bill Alexander once said, quote, all Don Hudson can do uh, is beat you with clever hands and the most baffling change of pace I've ever seen. Now, I want to pause a second because when you watch footage of him, you can see this as plain as day. You hear people talk about the way that Don Hudson played the game. They said he had this just crazy ability that he would be running a go route or any route in general, but you know specifically a go route, and the DB would run be running stride for stride with him, and the DB would literally think, "I'm hanging with, okay, I'm, good, I can do this," and literally Hudson would just hit another gear at the perfect time and just pull away. You could tell that he was sandbagging in the middle of routes. That's how fast he was. That he could literally lay back. And manipulate the defender into thinking that he was at top speed and then he would hit another gear. You heard him talk about there in, in a scouting report that he caught the ball effortlessly, right? And and that's something that's so, so important. I mean, I think Devontae Adams is one of those players that whenever he catches the ball – Um, what you'll notice uh, you've noticed over the last several years with him playing in green bay was it it just looked effortless when he caught the ball it was almost like the ball was an extension of his hand the second it got within range it was just it's like he absorbed the ball rather than trying to attack it like you see so many receivers do today it says when he graduated from alabama hudson did not plan on playing professionally in those days the nfl was not highly regarded in the south compared to college football But the Green Bay Packers head coach, Curly Lambeau, saw Hudson as the perfect receiver for his passing attack, which at the time was headed by quarterback Arnie Herber and in Johnny Blood McNally. You guys remember us doing the episode on him. By this time, a number of teams, including Alabama, were experimenting with spreading the field by moving one end far out near the sideline, drawing the defense away from the running backs, and leaving them more open On passing ones, Hudson had thrived in the scheme leading Lambeau to conclude that he would be the perfect fit for Green Bay's offense. Before the draft existed, college players could sign with any team they wanted, and while Hudson did sign a contract with Green Bay, it's rumored he had also signed a contract with the NFL's Brooklyn Dodgers. Both contracts came to the NFL office at the same time, and then NFL President Joseph Carr declared that Hudson would go to Green Bay as the Green Bay contract had an earlier date of signing. Hudson later stated he chose the Packers because they offered the most money, which was $300 a game. That was far and above what they had ever paid a player, said Hudson. Each week, they give me a check for $150 from one bank and $150 from another, so nobody would know how much I was getting paid. So I want to hit on a couple things here. First of all, thin threads. That's been kind of the uh, the theme for this whole uh, you know series of segments here with our Pastor Hi- Packers history segment. Thin, thin threads. He literally, because the date was dated slightly earlier on his Green Bay contract as opposed to his Brooklyn contract, is the only reason he ended up in Green Bay. So I want you to think about how different Curly Lambeau's years would have been in Green Bay if he didn't have Don Hudson. Okay? He probably doesn't win all those championships. He probably doesn't have near as much success with the forward pass. Who knows what the Packers' uh, legacy would be or how it would have been modified and changed if... That Hudson's contract would have been awarded to Brooklyn. It's just amazing the thin threads. Now, each week they give me a check for $150 from one bank, $150 from another, so nobody would know how much I was getting paid. That was Curly Lambeau. That's how Curly Lambeau operated. I mean, he knew that somebody would leak the information out that Hudson was getting paid $300 a game, and then guess what would happen? The rest of the players would come to Curly demanding more money much like you've seen with the receiver position across the league this year right And uh, I think it's just brilliant how he was one step ahead. That's how Curly was. Some people could say it was being dishonest. Uh, Others would be, you know, say he was manipulating what have you. But he knew exactly how to work the system to make sure he maximized the lack of funds that the Green Bay Packers had, being a small market team. And uh, he, it was on another documentary. It was said that um, when someone would come in to ask for a new contract, and there was a guy actually specifically telling this story about his personal experience. He goes in to Curley and says, man, I I would like a pay increase, and he said the number that he wanted. Lambeau would say, well, how much do you want? He told him the number. He pulled out uh, a multitude of contracts, and one of the first ones he would always mention, was uh was Don Hudson he put out Don Hudson's contract show it to him in this case 150 dollars right just just to use it as an example if it was 150 dollars in a contract oh, okay I'm sorry are you wanting more than the great Don Hudson do you think you're worth more than Don Hudson and it would put the player in check and 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 kind of give him a reality check like wow okay I, I'm probably being too greedy here when in in reality he was actually getting paid double that. Simply because Lambeau was smart enough to cover his tracks where people wouldn't catch on and use two banks uh, so that wouldn't happen. I just think that's a, a really, really cool story. So moving on to some of the accomplishments of Don Hudson. Um, He played split in, of course. Hudson's first catch as a professional was on an 83-yard touchdown pass from Arnie Herber on the first play from scrimmage against the Chicago Bears in the second game of the 1935 season. So I want you to think about this. His very first catch... 83 yard bomb from Arnie Herber against the rival Chicago Bears, the big town Chicago Bears, the big bullies of Chicago. And I've got a soundbot I want you to listen to as Don Hudson tells this story. And I want you to listen to the name he mentions. They, they mention on this soundbot. And that's Emmett Platten. If you guys will remember, on a previous episode where we covered the rivalry, not the rivalries, well, the rivalry of East, East Green Bay High and West Green Bay High, and really the whole purpose of that episode was to talk about the fans, the community, the people, the city, how they locked arms with Green Bay, and we had some real colorful stories. Emmett Platten is the same exact fan that rushed on the field and punched the Chicago Bear and, uh, and got ejected from the game. But listen to this soundbite of Don Hudson's very first touchdown pass.
0: There was actually a business guy in Green Bay who had a radio show. Emmett Platten, 6'4", 230 pounds, outspoken fan, local radio personality, Packers shareholder. He would criticize anybody he wanted to in Green Bay because <laughs> he was such a big guy, no one was going to take him on. He was sort of irascible Oh, too. oh yeah. He was... Kind uh, of a black sheep in the family really. Yeah, he was. He was a Packer fanatic. And he would rent time on the local radio stations to criticize Curly Lambos, everything about him. We'd be in the locker room and everybody would listen because he's critical of Lambo. And this time he spent his entire 30-minute program telling what a lousy deal he made in signing Don Hudson. He talked about Hudson saying that he was not big enough, he wasn't going to last, he wasn't impressed with him. This kind of motivated Hudson. Packers are playing the Bears, second week of the 1935 season. It was the Packers' first play from scrimmage. Arnie Herbert takes the ball, fades back to his four-yard line. Hudson is streaking toward midfield, and Arnie Herbert lets that ball go. On the first play, I caught a pass for 80 yards for a touchdown. That's the first time the Packers have ever scored on the very first play of the game. That 83-yard pass silenced them. And that was the last we heard about this guy on the radio for a while. <laughs>
1: Man, you can only imagine what that environment, that atmosphere was like in the locker room with the young Don Hudson in his very first season going out and silencing Emmett Platten. And then I love the soundbite of the old, the aging Don Hudson saying with that raspy voice, that's the last time we heard about this guy on the radio for a while. Absolutely love it. So let's dig into the stats, okay? Um, he played for ten years from nineteen thirty-five to nineteen forty-five. Don Hudson Ended up with 7,991 receiving yards, right? And he finished with 99 touchdowns. Okay, 99 touchdowns in a 10 year career um, is just unbelievable. His best year by far was 1942, where he had 74 catches, 1,211 yards, and 17 touchdowns. I'm going to read that again 74 catches, 1,211 yards, and 17 touchdowns. Guys and gals, there were only 11 games played that year. I mean, absolutely dominating the opponents. Don Hudson's number 14 was the first number retired by the Packers in a public ceremony at, at a game at City Stadium on December 2, 1951. Hudson Street in the Packerland Industrial Park in Green Bay is named for Don Hudson and in 1994 the Packers named their new state-of-the-art indoor practice facility across the street from Lambeau Field the Don Hudson Center. Hudson was inducted as a charter member of the College Football Hall of Fame in 1951 and Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1963. His college career made him a unanimous choice for the Associated Press Southeast Area all-time football team from 1920 to 1969 era. I mean, over the course of 40, what 49 years, and he was to that all-team. Hudson is a member of the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame, inducted in 1972, along with his quarterbacks Arnie Herber and Cecil Isabel. Think about that. Two quarterbacks, both of which played with Don Hudson, are in The Packers Hall of Fame. Uh, Curly Lambeau knew how to pick his players. It's just unbelievable. Uh, There's a part named after him in his hometown of Pine Bluff, Arkansas. On the occasion of his 75th birthday, he performed the ceremonial coin toss of Super Bowl XXII to end the pre-game ceremonies. Hudson was named to the NFL's 1930s all-decade team and 50th anniversary team in 1970. And in 1994, he was named to the NFL's 75th anniversary all-time team. In 1999, he was ranked sixth on the Sporting News list of the 100 greatest football players, the highest-ranking Packer, and the highest-ranking pre-World War II player. In 2012, the NFL Network named Hudson the greatest greenbacker, green bay packer of all time in 2005 the the flagstad family of green bay donated to the green bay packers hall of fame in an authentic packers number 14 jersey worn by don hudson the jersey was found in a trunk of old uniforms in 1946 at the rockwood lodge the packers summer training camp from 46 to 49 owned by melvin and helen flagstad The jersey, a rare NFL artifact valued at over $17,000, was donated by son Daniel Flagstad in memory of his parents. Here are all the records that Don Hudson held at the time of his retirement. Most seasons that he led the league scoring with five. The most consecutive seasons led the league in scoring at five. Most touchdowns scored in a quarter, four. The most touchdown receptions in a quarter. He scored four touchdowns in one quarter. Most points scored in a quarter, which was 29 points. Most seasons led the league with touchdowns 8 different times. Most consecutive seasons that he led the league in touchdowns 4 different times. Uh, Most seasons led the league in receiving touchdowns 9 seasons. Most consecutive seasons led the league in receiving touchdowns 5 times most seasons he led the league in receptions eight times, most consecutive seasons he led the league in receptions five times, most seasons led the league in receiving yards 7 times, the most consecutive seasons led the league in receiving yards 4 times, most receptions in his career with 488, most receptions in a season with 74, most most receptions in a game with 14, most receiving yards in his entire career with 7991, most receiving yards in a season at 1211, most receiving yards in a game 209, most receiving touchdowns in a career at 99 touchdowns most touchdowns in a season with 17 most touchdowns in a game with four most points scored in a calendar month 74 with four games in october in 1945 this guy was a stud and i think it's really really safe to say that he is the greatest green bay packer to ever play the game that number 14 will never be worn again in green green and gold and rightfully so. So there's the history segment for the week. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, let's go ahead and take a quick commercial break. We're going to put our GM cap on, and we're going to talk about the current receiving core and kind of how the contracts
0: look here in the near future. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. Okay, so the whole purpose of this segment is to give you guys kind of a bird's eye view of what the contract situation looks like in the wide receiver room. And we're going to go right down the line here and just talk about the highest paid receivers in the order of highest paid and what it's costing the Green Bay Packers, how many years are left on their contract. And then as we wrap up this segment, we're going to kind of project forward and say, okay, what does the future look like? And when you look at these contracts, it's really gonna tie into the conversation that Jacob and I had on Sunday afternoon with the projected 53-man roster, because you're gonna see that it really makes sense for a couple of, or at least one of these late round wide receivers to make the roster, so you don't void that four-year deal. If you do indeed move him to the practice squad, and you really want to take advantage of that four-year four-year deal, so let's go right down the line here. Number one, the highest-paid receiver on the Packers roster is Randall Cobb at 4.1 million dollars this year, and that is a one-year contract. So he will be a, restri- a unrestricted free agent next season. Um, number two on the list, Alan Lazard. He is due to make with this uh, with this uh, tender. That he's yet to sign 3.9 million dollars now I do want to mention that according to spotrack um, the website that covers contracts pretty much uh, it's the most detailed website that I've seen when it comes to NFL contracts um, it's saying that his fair market value is well over seven million dollars so think about that move that the Green Bay Packers made tendering him to where other teams couldn't come in and be aggressive and lure him away and he's basically getting paid almost half of what the market is set to show that a player of his caliber his production his everything right Um, they're they're basically getting a a, uh, you know a huge discount uh, paying half the cost of what he should go for on the open market. So that's a huge deal. Again, Alan Lazard, one year contract. Uh, number three, Sammy Watkins just signed him this year, right? The cap hit currently hits, sits at $1.7 million. That's a one year deal. At number four, you've got Amari Rodgers. He's sitting at $1.1 million, and he's got three years left on his deal. I'm really excited about Amari taking a step this year, um, just based off of of what I've seen. I don't know how people can see such a small sample size and just make this assumption that Amari Rodgers is going to be no good. You've got to remove the special teams gaps. You've got to, because we didn't draft him just to be a special team. Player, I mean, obviously, he's going to be a receiver moving forward, and I liked in the limited amount of time that we've seen last year, you know, we were talking about PFF grades with rookie players and things like that. He graded in the 60s, which we've seen in the past shows that if a rookie grades in the 60s, they typically... Are gonna turn out to be a solid NFL player and make that step forward each and every year. Now, granted, like I said, is a very small sample size, so you know you got to take the good with the bad. You can't really compare that PFF grade to past rookies that seen a lot of playing time, like with a with a Rashawn Gary or Eric Stokes and things like that, when they did see playing time, how they took that step forward. Kenny Clark was another one, but you definitely want to compare apples to apples in that regard. So at number five, you got Malik Taylor, eight hundred ninety-five thousand dollars with a one-year deal. You've got number six, Jawan Winfrey, $895 on a one-year deal. Now, you've got Christian Watson, He's slightly above five and six. He should actually come in at number five. It's showing right now. Early indications are, according to the rookie pay scale that I looked up, now granted, there's going to be some contractual uh, you know, things going on behind the scenes with negotiating that may bump that up a bit, but it should stay right around this ballpark of the first year being $954,000, and he will be on a four-year deal. So again, that may fluctuate a little bit higher. Uh, I don't anticipate in any way it being lower, just based off of the past contracts but you're around that ballpark again anywhere around a million dollars maybe just a touch over a million as far as a cap hit for christian watson to me is just absolutely phenomenal Uh, at number eight we've got romeo dobbs the rookie he's on a four-year deal there's no rookie pay scale that i've seen that shows the slot for the current current year in the nfl so i didn't want to tell an inaccurate number but it's going to be well below a million dollars per year um, on average or at least in the first year uh, and on a four-year deal and at number nine you've got samori torre a four-year deal again that number hasn't been released but it's going to be well under a million dollars so to put that into perspective guys let's fast forward to next year and let's say we don't re-sign any of the contracts that are up um, as a contract year, your Randall Cobb, your Alan Lazard, your Sammy Watkins, your Malik Taylor, your Jawan Winfrey, right? And a couple of those guys, I'm not going to go back through it and bore you with all the details, but a couple of those guys were restricted free agents, where we could actually get some compensation back if indeed someone else signs them. So it doesn't mean their playing career is over in Green Bay. It doesn't mean the same thing for Cobb. I'm really hoping that Cobb comes out, performs in the 70s on PFF, and maybe we get another year or two out of him on a discounted rate because we know he's willing to take less money to stay in Green. Bay. And I kind of feel like as long as Aaron Rodgers is coming back, there's a good chance that Randall Cobb will come back if his body doesn't break down and he continues to produce at a decent level. So um, here are the returning receivers. Let's let's fast forward to next year and let's look at the cost of the receivers for next year. Just based off of this year's salaries, which we all know with the rookie pay scale, it typically raises anywhere from 100 dollars to $200,000 uh, per year against the cap. Okay, so just take that into consideration. But if we were to start next year with without signing any of these one-year deals to an extension, you basically got Amari Rodgers coming in probably somewhere around 1300000 million. You've got uh, Christian Watson coming in probably a little over a million dollars. You've got Romeo Dobbs coming in probably right at under a million dollars. And you've got Samori Torre coming in uh, under a million dollars. So basically, your top four receivers, you have spent... No money whatsoever on the wide receiver position. And this is kind of what makes me think that Alan Lazard is going to re sign with the Packers. And he's kind of, uh, you know, not signing the tender, hoping that another deal gets done. Um, We do know that there's one spot open on the 90 man roster, right? Um, I'm not saying that that's kind of, you know, all I'm saying is. Those are two coincidences that kind of connect for me, um, you know, that if they do get an extension, maybe they're they're holding off on that 90-man roster until they get that extension done with Alan Lazard. There's been no reports of that, but I really, really, really hope they get that done. But you got to keep in mind that the market is showing $7 million as his fair market value, okay? He's sitting at $3.9 million, all right? So when you look at that from that angle, right, what is Alan Lazard worth on, let's say, a three-year deal? Okay, what would you pay him? For me, I'm thinking, okay, we know the wide receiver market is really, really inflated right now. That doesn't mean that Alan Lazard should take less than what he can get on the open market. doesn't mean that at all. However, that's that's the angle I would be coming at if I was Russ Ball and Brian Gutekunst. I would be coming to Alan Lazard and going, okay, man, are you sure you want to play this year on just $3.9 million contract? And if you get hurt... You know, you know the risk you're in taking, okay? Okay, you want $7 million on the open market. Let's say he's asking for eight because of the inflated numbers. If he's saying he wants eight and he's willing to, you know, he's going to have to play p- play for basically right at $4 million this year, I'm coming back somewhere there in the middle. What about a three-year deal, right, worth somewhere around, you know, $6 million per, okay? And you could structure it in a way just like you did with Jair, where there's a lot of money up front, and you can get out of that contract within a year or two. You know, we've seen that the four- and five-year deals this year across the NFL are really just two-year deals, meaning the teams can get out with minimal cap hit or, you know, at least, uh, you know, 50% less cap hit um, if they get out of that within two years. Alan Lazard, I think it's safe to say, will be effective or as effective as he has been The last several years for at least the next two years. So, why not structure it that way? Why not throw him some guaranteed money, lock him down? Now you've got a guy that's had a little bit of rapport with Aaron Rodgers. He's in my opinion, he would definitely be your number one receiver until Christian Watson if he does arrive and become a number one receiver, which we're all hoping that happens, right? That's that's kind of the end game here. That's what we want to see happen with the receiver room. We want to see Christian Watson come out this year. I would love to see him have a rookie campaign where he finishes in the 70s with a PFF grade. If he finishes in the 60s, that's totally cool. That's That's acceptable. I'd like to see him finish in the seventies, maybe finish with, you know, five or six touchdowns, have about 700 yards receiving. That would be an excellent rookie campaign with Alan Lazard, Sammy Watkins, Randall Cobb, Amari Rogers, you know, taking their share of, of the handles as well. And then you step into year two with Christian Watson, most likely, you know, evolving into this, you know, graduating into this number one receiver, and you've got him for a million a year for the next three years. If he, boom, if he busts out, Breaks out and he's a superstar player. Then, what you can do as the Packers is maybe revisit it with two years left on his contract. And really, that's the negotiating, that's the. That's the marketing chip that the Packers use so well when when a player isn't in the last year of their contract, but they're stepping into that second year. They now identified, okay, this is a player we want around for the future. Let's dangle a carrot. Let's dangle some guaranteed money out there. And by the time that he's in the second year of a four-year extension, his number is well below the cap number that's the average across uh, the entire NFL landscape. And what we know with Christian Watson is, and the type of players that these guys draft, um, they're they're typically not the players that's worried about money. Even Devonte Adams was not worried about money. It's now been reported by Ian Rappaport that they offered more money than Oakland than than the Las Vegas Raiders. So he left because he wanted to go to Vegas. He didn't leave because we wasn't willing to pay them, you know, pay him that that crazy amount of money. Uh, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but looking back, the fact that he didn't take that contract is such a blessing to the Green Bay Packers organization, in my opinion. So, again, Christian Watson, if he does blow up, has a solid rookie year, steps into that number one or number two spot by the end of the year and goes into next year that way, you talk about a discounted rate you're getting that guy on. Now, if you re-sign Lazard like we talked about, now your receiver room will be Lazard, Watson, Amari Rodgers, uh, Romeo Dobbs, which I've got high hopes for Romeo Dobbs with everything I've heard anybody who spoke about him, and then Samori Torre. If you guys remember on the 53-man roster episode that we did Sunday afternoon with Jacob, I had Samori Torre kind of looking at him going, I don't know, man, he might be on the outside. He might be a practice squad guy. This is even more of a reason we want him to make the roster. If there was ever a reason to carry seven or eight wide receivers, this is the reason right here. That way you don't lose the strength of that four-year contract, and you have him on a minimal deal as well, and who knows? Samori may turn into a special teams guy and be able to take that role away from Amari Rodgers so we don't have to worry about that playing into his receiving game, right? And the same thing, I do not want Sammy, or I do not want Christian Watson returning kicks. I don't. I just don't. So you've got. What you really got is a recipe for success. You've got the top three receivers that are getting paid the most. They're all on a one-year deal. They're wanting to prove it this year. Randall Cobb, like I said, just loves Green Bay. He wants to play with Aaron Rodgers. I think there's a chance he comes back next year at a discounted rate. Alan Lazard, the strength you have there, if they are not working on a contract behind the scenes, that dude is going to want to ball out. So when he hits a free agent's market next year as an unrestricted free agent, he's going to be able to break the bank. You're going to get the best... Alan Lazard this year. Sammy Watkins is on a one-year prove-it deal. There's some incentives that could boost that up to as high as what I've read $4 million this year, but he's sitting at a current $1.7 million. I think that there's going to be some added uh, benefit to having him on the roster. And, you know, Ryan's talked about it so many times before that typically the Packers do not put a large workload on their rookies. Eric Stokes last year was a little bit different, right? Darnell Savage was a little bit different. But when you look at it, You have all the reason in the world to let Christian Watson mature into that number two receiver, right? And the reason being is because you've got those guys on those one-year deals that are really wanting to prove it. I think the competition in the wide receiver room is going to be huge this year, guys, and I'm really, really excited about it. So again, just to kind of recap, you're going to have four receivers coming back on the roster next year, all of them right at a million or a little less than a million dollars per year cap hit. Guess what that means? That means that as you come into free agency next year, if Cobb doesn't come back, let's say he retires, if Alan Lazard uh, does not get a contract extension uh, signed and he wants to hit free agency next year, cool. If Sammy Watkins doesn't come back, you've got those four base players and you've got literally less than $5 million of cap tied up in four of the six or seven roster spots that are allocated to the wide receiver position. You are sitting pretty to jump into free agency. And you immediately think, oh, we could go after a top receiver. No, 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 no. That's not how Goody operates. Goody would let those first wave of wide receivers go, and then he'd come in and do some discounts, some yard sale shopping, right? And get some solid wide receivers, maybe two at the price of one, right? Get two two good wide receivers for the price of a of a, a yearly cap hit that a team would pay one of these elite wide receivers, right? And uh and you could come in and really bolster that wide receiver room next year. Could you imagine them signing two solid receivers next year? This is this is under the assumption that Alan Lazard doesn't re-sign. Okay, let's, let's just play kind of a GM here for a second. Let's say Alan Lazard does not, does not re-sign next year. And you've just got those four minimal top contracts with Amari Rodgers, uh, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and Samori Torre. Right? You come into free agency next year, and let's say that you sign two solid number two receivers, and one of them are going to be forced to be your number one. And then Christian Watson is competing for that number one receiver spot. You can see how that wide receiver, they can literally flip it. You hear about people flipping houses for profit, right? You, you hear about all these different things that, that you can do in, in business. This is the perfect model for next year's Receiving core. And I guarantee you that's what Goody had in mind when all the pundits, when all the the talking heads were out there going, they better draft a receiver in the first round. They better hit free agency and sign a wide receiver. I can't believe they haven't been more aggressive at wide receiver. They are sitting really, really nice. So my perfect scenario as we wrap up this segment is I would like to see – Alan Lazard signed to a three-year deal. That would be great. Somewhere in the range of five to six million dollars per year cap hit. If you throw enough guaranteed money, you might be able to get that cap hit down a little bit. Like I said, have it in a point where you could get out of it in two years. You don't have to worry about him aging. You've got someone who knows the system, knows Green Bay, knows the facility, knows Aaron Rodgers, knows the coaching staff, a guy that's a great attitude, has a great attitude, is a great run blocker. I think there's a lot of perks to signing him to a multi-year deal. But we know Goody is not going to overpay for it if there is someone though that he's going to slightly overpay for from what you know compared to what he normally does uh with contract extensions i think it's the type of player that alan lazard is i think it's that guy because he seems very unselfish now you're probably sitting here saying well if he's so unselfish why hasn't he signed his tender yet well we haven't even heard from him right he's not you know we don't even know if he's coming back he might be holding out he has every reason in the world to uh to come back because i'm going to tell you there's going to be a a deadline i believe it's uh june i i don't I don't want to mis- misquote this but I think it was June 15th was the deadline for him to sign his his extension or sign his uh, his tender if he doesn't sign it that 3.9 million from what I understand according to the CBA and the and the negotiations that the union had with the with the league the league really won this negotiation if he doesn't sign it by that June 15th deadline I believe it falls all the way down to under one million dollars. So he's going to sign that tender at worst-case scenario. Let's see if maybe they can get a contract extension uh, uh, worked out between them. But, you know, Alan Lazard has spoken. And here's what he said, okay? I'm just going to read it verbatim what I read online earlier. I believe it was Packers Wire Twitter account. I want to give them credit. I think they tweeted this out. But it said, uh, this is Alan Lazard speaking, quote, Devontae leaving and everything creates a lot more opportunities for everybody. I'm pretty excited about that as an individual. Lazard told Tommy Birch of to the Des Moines Register, quote, even our room more so, just to be able to spread the ball around, God I'm grinning ear to ear, dude, this is what we talked about all offseason, was we got so tired of the ball getting forced to Devontae Adams, and you look at that 49ers playoff game and you've seen it firsthand, open receivers and Aaron felt like he had to force the ball to Tay. Um Quote, even our our room more so, just to be able to spread the ball around, the guys that we're able to add to our room this year, I'm very excited to work with them and see them blossom. So does that sound like a guy that's not playing for the Packers this year, guys? Does that sound like a guy who's willing to hold out and forfeit $3.9 million uh, and, and just collect a check for right out of Millie? It doesn't sound like it to me. This dude's excited about playing for the Green Bay Packers. His head's in the right spot. He's probably using this to get out of OTAs, and I don't blame him. If I had a t- uh, you know, a, a, a tactic that I could use to get out of work, and I'm sure you guys are listening to this going, God, I wish I had that option, to get out of the hardest work of the season. Training camp's probably the hardest, but OTAs seem to be what the players dread the most. And you could get out of that and not lose any money. Come on, guys. Let's be honest. You're doing it. It doesn't make him a bad player. It doesn't make him a bad person. But that sounds like a guy who's excited to play for the Green Bay Packers, and I think that's great news. So now let's go into Christian Watson. I want to read this. This was really cool. Wes Hogkowitz, If you guys don't know, he's a, a Packers. He works for the Packers. Uh, Packers.com. He writes. They do a, a a podcast, a weekly podcast during the season. I gotta say, man, I like Spofford and uh and uh, Wes Hodkowitz because. They're not like the trashy reporters that are out here, the, the the trashy podcasters that all they want to do is drum up uh, drama. You know, there was a guy, Joe, on Twitter I was chatting with and a couple other people that I seen them tweeting about it all weekend long, you know, a few days ago. And it was just like, everybody is so negative everybody covering the team all they want to do is just beat the gm up beat the front office up as if they're idiots and i can't believe they won't listen to us sports riders and we'll explain exactly what the team needs to needs to be and do I think that Wes Hockowitz, working for the Packers.com obviously he's going to be team friendly. That reminds me of the days of Art Daily and the Green Bay Press Gazette with George Calhoun and that old school approach to promoting the team. So you the if you work for the team the last thing you want to do is beat them down and make them look like they're not worth uh, you know even studying on. I just think it's such a stupid move. It's like okay, my livelihood depends on covering this team. Let me try to find every little negative to get fans to turn away from them as if they don't know what they're doing. I just don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. But Wes Hodkowitz, in my opinion, does a great job. Um, he's very positive. He reports the news on the Packers and does it in a tactful way. He said, um, It said right here in an, in an article on uh, Packers.com, it said Noah Pauley, the wide receiver coach uh, for uh, for Christian Watson at North Dakota State, this is a quote. He interviewed him in this, and you guys can go check it out on Packers.com, dot com. But I just thought this was really cool. The wide receiver coach Noah Paulie, um, you know, the college wide receiver coach for Christian Watson said, quote, He means so much to myself, my wife, and my two little girls. They're his biggest fans. Okay? And then he said when he when uh Uh, Hockiewicz asked him and said, what was it like? What did you think when he got drafted by the Packers? He said, quote, when we heard his name, I threw my daughter in the air, said Polly with a laugh. We were all celebrating. I'm telling you, this kid, there's something different about Christian Watson. And you really see why out of all the second tier receivers, which there's a lot of people and you know how I feel about Greg Cosell. Greg Cosell actually said he felt like Christian Watson should have been drafted a little bit higher than he was. So nonetheless, you, you are worth what's spent on you, okay? Whatever your you know business, your product, whatever you're talking about, whatever it's willing, whatever it's capable of bringing in dollars and cents wise, that's the true market value. Not Your house isn't worth how much you think it's worth. Your house is worth what someone's willing to pay for your house, right? So I kind of feel like, okay, he's a second-tier receiver. i got to be honest about that. In all the second-tier receivers, it seems like the Packers had their eye on this guy for this very reason. I mean, when you've got wide receiver coaches that benefit nothing from talking about him now, right? The limelight is now on Christian Watson and the Green Bay Packers. And the fact that he said those things, talking about how Christian Watson got so close to his family, Right. When he heard when they heard his name uh, being called for being drafted I threw my daughter in the air we were all celebrating it just shows you the kind of aura this guy brings into the room and you can see it every picture I love the grittiness of Romeo Dobbs in the in the rookie premiere that everybody's been tweeting out the pictures and Jacob on Packernet podcast has done an excellent job tweeting these pictures out and Justin as well you guys some of the some of the photoshops and stuff you guys have done is just top-notch you you're the best at what you do in my opinion my humble but accurate opinion but Every time you see Romeo Dobbs, he's got this gritty look on his face like he's a grinder, right? He's a little bit, not mean, but just very serious. When you hear him in interviews, his personality comes out a little bit. He seems like a really good guy. But when you see Christian Watson, this dude's just grinning ear to ear. And it's the same exact aura I got um, when, when Jamal Williams was drafted at the running back position. You know, when, when he was drafted, I immediately went and looked at his profile, uh, Cena, I think it was ESPN or NFL Network, did a little special on him where they followed him around um, at his college, and they called him J Boogie, right? That was his nickname. And the big thing that everybody said was, this guy brings so much energy. He walks into a room and lights it up, right? Everybody just loves being around him. Well, you've seen Devontae Adams tweet out about Christian Watson, this kid's going to be the truth, Right. Christian Watson, every time you see him in a picture, he's smiling. A rookie premier picture, he's smiling. He's, you know, at OTAs, he was smiling. I think this is going to be a good locker room guy, and it's no surprise that that's who the Packers drafted. He really isn't. We've got to give him time to develop. As Packer fans, get behind him. I'm going to tell you how we can impact players like this. Out of all the negativity that's going on on Twitter, with all the Milwaukee reporters, and I'm not going to give them the credit by mentioning their name, but how they always just beat down everything the Packers do, and they point out all the flaws of these players. The one thing we can do, if you're listening to my voice on this podcast, the one thing we can do as Packer backers is tag them in tweets on Twitter and build them up. We should have these players, when they step into the green and gold, they should log on to Twitter and go, I have the best fan base in the world. These are the most supportive people. And they're going to want to go out and perform for that team if that's how their fan base is acting. Think about that. Let it bounce around before you tweet something negative because everything we do as fans, it really does impact the players. I mean, if you don't believe me, go look at how many people Z'Darrius Smith blocked after he's thrown his little temper tantrum because he didn't get voted team captain and now he's wearing that ugly purple and gold, right? They see what you tweet. They pay attention. And some of these big wigs... That are podcasters and radio show hosts and all these negative nancies they they'll they'll be the first to tell you oh they don't even pay attention to you bs Look at how many people will get blocked. Look at how many people uh, get interacted with in that regard. I'm telling you, we can make a difference from the inside out as Packer fans, and I think that's exactly what we should do. So, again, I just wanted to cover the wide receiver room. I thought it would be really, really cool to look at the contract situation to kind of give you a forecast. Next year, we've got four receivers under contract coming back. That doesn't include the restricted free agents. Okay, there might be a couple there. But we're looking at four returning If none of the one-year players re-sign and we are sitting pretty to go shopping next year for a wide receiver, Um, again, best-case scenario, I think Alan Lazard, if he could re-sign to a three-year deal, a minimum three-year deal, then our receiver room goes into next year with five guys in the receiver room, five returning players that know the system, and uh, five players that are very, very cheaply priced. We are sitting really, really good. Um, I just love it. I love what Goody's done. When everyone else overspent in the wide receiver market, he took a whole different approach, right? We got Jair under contract now. Let's, Let's see if Elton's knee's healthy and get him under contract. And I'm telling you, everything is in place for this defense to be great for a very long time. We've got receivers on discount prices. We've got Aaron Rodgers under contract, which it's amazing how the media is not covering how his cap hit is so low for the next three years. I think it's 28 this year, 32 next year, 40 the next. When there's some guys that cat hit is just unbelievably high. Um, we're sitting really, really nice for the uh, for the near future. So again, thank you guys for listening today. Um, as I always say, man, you you could be anywhere in the world, you could be listening to anything while you're out there on the grind, or what I don't know. You might be mowing your grass, you might be at work hiding from the boss, you might be washing the dishes, whatever it is you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we appreciate you uh, hanging out with us. So uh, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there a little bit early. We're at the 47-minute mark. We'll get you guys out of here so you can go ahead and skip ahead to the next podcast and get some more information. But thanks for tuning in. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world, and Go Pack Go!